G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 15 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. In today's episode, we're looking at what it took for God to get Saul's attention and asking the question, what does it take for God to get our attention? If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find those over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 15 on the list. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode 14 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we looked at, we looked at Philip as God called him to leave his successful ministry and travel into the wilderness. We looked at how sometimes in our lives, God calls us to leave success and go into the unknown, and we need to trust him and have courage to follow. We also saw that sometimes God calls our friends and or family to leave their success and follow him into the unknown. We looked at how we need to encourage those people to follow God, and if they come to us for advice, to make sure our desire is for them to honor God no matter what even if that means that we'll miss them like crazy. Today, we're going to look at how Jesus' resurrection completely changed one man's life, how it turned him from a man determined to destroy Christianity and everything it stood for into one of the most powerful voices in our Bibles today. Our passage is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through to 19 in the World English Bible. But Saul, still breathing threats and slaughter against the disciples of Jesus, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he traveled, he got close to Damascus, and suddenly a light from the sky shone around him. He fell on the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? He said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise up and enter into the city, then you will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. They led him by the hand and brought him into the city. He was without sight for three days, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, Behold, it is me, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judah for one named Saul, a man from Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias 
coming in and laying his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Here he is, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go your way, for he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the nations and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias departed and entered into the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he received his sight. He arose and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. Saul stayed several days with the disciples who were at Damascus. This is one of the most amazing conversions we see in the Bible, in my opinion. It's so incredible because of Saul's history. See, Saul was a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, about as Jewish as you could get. He was born in Tarsus, a Roman state, which earned him Roman citizenship from birth. In his early years, he trained beneath a well-known Pharisee of his day, Gamaliel. Gamaliel himself was a Pharisee from the school of Hillel, and his followers were a group of Pharisees known for their openness and generosity. And we saw that attitude come into play in Acts chapter 5, when Gamaliel spoke to the chief priests and advised them to let the disciples go. So Saul was trained to be open and generous, and yet in his youth and enthusiasm, he turned aside from that openness and instead began a vicious and systematic attempt to destroy Christianity. Saul knew all about Jesus. He knew that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He knew that Jesus had been crucified, and he knew that people claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. But no doubt he also believed that Jesus' disciples had taken Jesus' body and hidden it. Saul had every piece of information he needed in order to know that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. He grew up with passages like this one, Isaiah 53, which I'll read in a moment from the World English Bible. This passage was written hundreds of years before Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord's arm been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no good look or majesty, that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and acquainted with disease. He was despised as one whom men hide their face, and we didn't respect him. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our suffering, yet we considered him plagued, struck by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, The punishment that brought our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, 
Yet when he was afflicted, he didn't open his mouth. As a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and as a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. He was taken away by oppression and judgment. As for our generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living and stricken for the disobedience of his people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has caused him to suffer. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the Lord's pleasure will prosper his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light and be satisfied. My righteous servant will justify many by the knowledge of himself, and he will bear our iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great. He will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was counted with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This prophecy is all about Jesus. He was born in humble circumstances, no outward beauty to attract people to him. He was rejected by mankind and grew up familiar with pain. And yet he took our pain on the cross. He bore our suffering. And as he did so, the world considered him punished by God. The Jews believed he was a blasphemer and that God was punishing him. But no, he was pierced for our sin. He was crushed for our wrongs. He was punished so that we might have peace. He was punished so that by his wounds we might be healed. And we need that healing. We need that peace because every single one of us has gone astray. Every single man, woman, and child on earth has gone astray and needs rescuing. Jesus did that on the cross for us. He took the punishment that we rightly deserve to pay and said we don't have to. The price for our sins has been paid. All we need to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and repent. Even the tomb he had been buried in is listed in this prophecy. A tomb of the wicked, meaning a tomb belonging first to someone else, not a tomb made just for Jesus, the only person to ever live who wasn't wicked. The Holy Spirit also revealed to Isaiah that the tomb would belong to a rich person, and indeed this is 100% accurate. Matthew chapter 27 verse 57 records that a rich man named Joseph from Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate for Jesus' body in order to bury him, and he buried him in his own tomb, the tomb of a sinful man, the tomb of a rich man. Isaiah continues and writes that after Jesus has suffered, he would rise again and would see the light of life and be satisfied. Death could not hold him. Saul grew up with that passage, one of many that speak of Jesus. But despite all that knowledge of the Old Testament, despite having passages prophesying Jesus' life and death, Saul didn't see it. He was blind to the truth. As a Jew, he was waiting for a Messiah to save them from Rome's oppression, but he failed to see when the Messiah arrived. He failed to see when the Son of God Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 52 and 53. 
until, until he traveled one day to Damascus. As he neared Damascus, ready to arrest every man and woman he could find who followed Jesus, a bright light from heaven flashed around him, overwhelming him. Then a voice demanded to know why he was persecuting him. Saul was a man who strove to follow God. He had spent his life seeking to honor God. He knew that this voice was from above. This voice was divine. And yet, the voice said Saul was persecuting him? Wait, no he wasn't. Saul wasn't persecuting God or believers in God. He was persecuting blasphemers. So he thought. Then the voice said something which would remain etched into Saul's memory until the day he died. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. On his way to arrest followers of Jesus, Saul is confronted by a blinding light and a voice he knows is divine. And that voice informs him that he's Jesus, the Jesus whom Saul was fighting so hard against, the Jesus whom Saul believed was dead and buried, the Jesus whom Saul believed was definitely not God. In that moment on the ground on a dusty road, Saul's life shatters. In that moment, Saul begins to realize that he's made a horrible, horrible mistake. He begins to realize that what he believed he was doing for God was actually against God. Try to imagine that. Imagine spending your life believing what you were doing was helping people, that you were always doing the right thing. But then you find out that no, everything you've done in life only ever hurt people. You find out that instead of being the good guy, you're the bad guy. That idea makes me sick. I don't want to be the bad guy. It made Saul sick too. And as he stood up, he opened his eyes and realized he was blind. He had always been blind. He had had the gospel of Jesus right in front of him with the Old Testament. He had grown up studying the very books that God gave the world to point to his son Jesus, and yet he had never seen the truth right before him. He had thought himself a man of great spiritual insight, understanding, and zeal. But he wasn't. He was blind. And now he was physically blind too. Those with him had heard the sound, but hadn't seen anyone. There was no man hiding behind a bush speaking to Saul. It truly was a voice from heaven, the voice of the risen Son of God. Saul's companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and there he stayed for three days in darkness. He didn't eat or drink a thing, doubtless overcome by, by grief and torment as the weight of his actions sank in. But also in that time, rejoicing in God's mercy that, despite what he had done to God's people, God still saw fit to save him. And through all this, God wasn't done with him. This wasn't the end for Saul. And indeed, his life would be full of hardship. He would suffer more than the countless Christians he had persecuted had suffered. And while Saul sat in darkness, God was at work in a man named Ananias. 
God came to Ananias in a vision and told Ananias where Saul was and told him to go lay hands on him to restore his sight. Man, Ananias did not like that news. He knew exactly who this Saul was. Why heal him? Why not let him stay blind, the murderous monster? But God said, nope, go to go see him. He is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And so Ananias did. Saul had seen in a, in a vision that a man named Ananias was going to come. And then through his door walks a man named Ananias who says, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you in a road when you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. After this, Saul had no room at all to deny Jesus Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God, and that Jesus is alive and well. Now, after a life of denial, Saul sees the truth. The light had been switched on and it all made sense. Passages like Isaiah 53 suddenly made sense to Paul and he could see that the prophet didn't speak about some mysterious Messiah still to arrive. Isaiah spoke of the man Saul had seen, Jesus. In just three days, Saul's life was completely turned upside down. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Turns our lives upside down. Crazy things happen when the Holy Spirit is involved. So my challenge for us today is this. To ask the question, what does it take for God to get our attention? If you've already given your life to God, what does it take for him to get your attention and get you to focus on where he wants to lead you in life? If you don't know Jesus, what will it take for you to see what he did for you on the cross, what he did for you when he rose three days later defeating death. Can you see that he's already paid the price for every wrong, every mistake, every sin you've ever done in your life? All that you need to do is accept that, repent and ask him for forgiveness and put your faith in him as the holy and perfect son of God. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's Word to your life.